Thank you for listening to Hope Fellowship Church in Jaffrey, New Hampshire. We're currently going through a sermon series called I Am. For these next few weeks, Pastor Jordan will be looking to scripture to answer the question so many of us face, who is Jesus? For generations, people have been debating this question. Was he a good moral teacher? Was he a revolutionary? Was he a figment of history's imagination? Was he a liar, a lunatic, or Lord? John's Gospel records the identity of Jesus by examining his very words. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the true vine. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit hopejaffrey.org. If you would turn with me to John 14, we begin reading in John 14, verse 1. I feel as if some of the things in this message today have been impressed upon my heart over the last several months. Some of the illustrations or thoughts that I'm sharing with you today in this sermon have actually, I shared it another time to a group of high schoolers this year and in a baccalaureate service, and I felt like God was using this verse, I am the way, the truth, and the life, upon my own heart in the last over I'd say the last year. And so I had a chance to share some thoughts of this message with others. And then as I came upon it in this series again, I was like, you know, just impressed upon them again. And so I've retooled some of the things that I'm sharing with you today, but it's been something that I've been thinking about for quite some time. I often have conversations about these things with people and, and I hope it'll be encouraging to you. So let's look at John 14 and the words that he says. Jesus shares with the disciples, John 14, 1, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. And then Thomas says in verse 5, Thomas says, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known the Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. John 14, 1 through 7 is going to be our main text for today. Might look at some passages in chapter 13 and other places of John 8. But we're going to be looking at these ideas, the way, the truth, and the life. This has been our series, I Am. We've been looking at the seven major statements of Jesus, his I Am statements. I am the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the gate. I'm the door. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Next week will be our final statement, I am the true vine. But as we think about this of the way, who is captaining our soul, who is in charge of the way of the life in which we go. I happened upon a story about William Ernest Henley a few years ago, and I've shared this illustration in a variety of places, but William Ernest Henley was 16 years old when his left leg required amputation owing to complications arising from tuberculosis. This was in the early 1870s. And he was told that his good leg was on a similar path later on until a renowned doctor who was able to save his leg through a series of surgeries. And while recovering in the infirmary and enduring an intense amount of pain and long road to recovery, 
he wrote this famous poem called Invictus. Invictus, for those of you who aren't into poems, is actually a movie as well. So uh, you might have seen it with Matt Damon and Nelson Mandela. Uh, Nelson Mandela is played by Morgan Freeman. Matt Damon is a rugby player, and it's during that time in South Africa of apartheid and the separation between the Dutch and the whites and the blacks and all the difficulty that was going on in, the, in that country. And Nelson Mandela was imprisoned, and he used this poem, Invictus, as one of the main reasons that he overcame prison and was able to lead the country to a variety of, of reforms. But the poem, as I'm about to read, is a memorable testimony of a certain kind of fortitude, personal fortitude. A, a personal uh, a Victorian stoicism, a, a stiff upper lip. You know, pick yourself up by your bootstraps and just face the life in front of you. It's become a mantra even for many people outside of faith who have used it as kind of a, a poem or a, uh, a message for atheism, for, humani- uh, for humanity and humanism. We don't need God or anything outside of us. We can figure it out on our own. We know the way and we'll forge the path ahead. And they've used this poem as kind of a mantra for that. Let me read it for you. It says, out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. The word invictus is Latin for unconquered. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloodied but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade. And yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. For I am the master of my fate and I am the captain of my soul. It's confident, is it not? (laughs) Fatalistic, some might say. Proud, and others might say, but yet this Invictus is this personal, unconquerable soul that I'm in charge of my fate. This anthem for an individual remaining steadfast and unconquered. And yes, there is something to be said about not wilting under pressure. There is something to be said about standing strong even though life gets hard. But ultimately, where is the source of all of that coming from? And that's the question I want to ask for you today. I am the master of my fate, the captain of my soul, becomes the most famous line of that poem. This individual destiny that uh, there is no one who can tell me what to do. There is no right and wrong outside of what I say. I am in control. I go the way that I want to go. I chart my course. I plot my path. I am the captain now. Another illustration I've used at different times. Perhaps you've seen that movie, Captain Phillips. Tom Hanks is the main character captaining this freighter ship off the coast of Africa, and it gets captured by Somali pirates. Have you ever seen that? And the pirates take over the ship, and uh, the Somali pirate comes up to Tom Hanks. He's the captain of the ship, and, and, and the Somali pirate comes up to Tom Hanks as they've commandeered the whole ship, and he looks Tom Hanks in the eye, and he says, you listen to me. I am the captain now, right? It's this great line. It's, it's fantastic. It's probably like the most famous line of the movie. And it, it's rung in my head for it just reminds me of our own lives and our own soul of how so often in life we have this situation where, where we go right up to God in some ways. We go right up to the master of our true fate and we, go, we look God in the eyes and say, you listen to me. I'm the captain now. <laughs> and so often this is what we're faced with, a question of who's in charge 
A question for us, who's charting the course and the direction of our lives? Who's actually piloting this vessel right here, right? Who ultimately holds their life in our hands? Are we really in charge or as, as do we really think we are as important as we think we are? Is God above or is there no God above? It matters not how straight the gate, whatever way you want to go, as long as you're in charge, that's the best way. And then really this presses down into more existential questions, the meaning of life, really, which is this entire series has been about. Uh, who is Jesus is the question we've been asking. Uh, really, who does Jesus say he is? In his own words, who is Jesus? That's the question we've been asking. But that presses into, especially like we looked at last week, I am the resurrection and the life we looked at last week. It presses down into the deeper fundamental questions of life and death. Because really that's the most important question is those answers. What happens after death? What is life all about? Who is my savior? Who is the captain of my soul? Or, or is there no one above? And there is nothing, no, hell, no heaven above, no hell beneath. It is me and that is all there is. And so we find ourselves perhaps at times, maybe you find yourself there today. You come into this place, into church. You're not so familiar with this faith and religious stuff. And, and you're not sure who this Jesus is even. These people are singing songs about worshiping Jesus. And you're not sure what that means. You're welcome today in this place to join all of us in some of this questioning of these things. There are times in our life where we doubt and we have questions about our faith. Do we believe this truth? We find ourselves questioning the way. You ever find yourself there questioning the way where you are going? This may date myself, but I have to do that every now and then, right? But some of you can sympathize with me. Do you remember a world before GPS? <laughs> driving into the great unknown with no GPS, unless you live in New Ipswich, that happens all the time. But the idea of simply having to go to a computer and type in the directions and print out your MapQuest directions. You're like, MapQuest, what's that? I can still remember having a Garmin that you attach to your, you know, the little suction cups, you had to suction cup it to your car, right? The thing would fall off sometimes. But then I can still remember when Jamie and I were newly dating, this is in high school, right? And, and I can still remember printing out MapQuest directions to get to her family's like lake house or something. And I, I just remember getting lost because I missed one of the turns. You miss one of the turns on MapQuest and you're doomed, right? Because you don't know where else to go and you get got to try to backtrack and on the way back, you can reverse them and try to follow them backwards. You ever done that? You know, to get home. It's just a feeling of lostness. I don't know the way, you know. Maybe you've, you've felt that before. And the disciples had similar questions. Disciples had qu questions, almost the exact same type of questions. In John 13, is right before John 14. Funny how that works. But John 13, uh, verses 36 to 38, is Peter and Jesus are having a conversation. I love it. Just imagining like Jesus and Peter just talking. And I love the way John describes it. He says, Lord, where are you going? This is verse 36. John 13, Simon Peter said, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answers him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterwards. You will come one day. In verse 37, Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. That's what Peter is. He's always very confident. Verse 38, Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Like, really? You think about that, Peter. Because I, truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Peter's like, oh, no, that'll never happen. 
Then chapter 14, it goes right into chapter 14, verse 1, where Jesus says, don't be worried. Do not let your hearts be troubled and anxious and worried about so many things. It's okay. Believe in God. Believe in me. I am your way, your truth. I am your life. Follow me. You do not have to worry about these things all the time. So don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. And then he goes in and says, believe in me, this faith. Put your faith and trust in Jesus. Why? Well, I'm going to a place. I am going to leave you. Later on, he actually talks about how it's better that I leave because the comforter, the helper, the Holy Spirit will come and be with you. But he, but he says, I, I'm leaving. But it's okay, don't worry. Because I'm going to prepare a place for you. This is a place, a mansion of sorts, this heavenly kind of uh, heavenly mansion that has so many rooms, and yet I'm going to play a, prepare a place for you. There will be a room reserved for you. I'm going to a place, a reservation that will be set apart specifically for you. It, there's a room with your name on it, and you can promise that. It's not like a hotel reservation or a car reservation. You ever been there? Jerry Seinfeld does this whole comic bit about how this reservation is not exactly reserved. Because you reserve the car, but you get there, and they're like, oh, we don't have the car. And you're like, but I reserved the car, right? And they're like, well, sorry. And it's like, what does a reservation even mean, right? And so I bought a ticket for the plane. It says it's going to go here. Well, the plane is canceled, right? And it's all these. That's not how this works. Jesus is saying, I'm going to reserve a place for you. You can be sure and trust this, that there will be a, a room in heaven for you. There is a place that is reserved for you, a home, a place of peace, a place of rest. I am going to prepare a place for you. But, but he does say in verse 4, and, and he says to them somewhat confidently, Jesus speaking to them, this is John 14, 4, he says, you know, and, and you know where I'm going. So you're like, you know where I'm going. Kind of assuming almost, speaking about heaven, speaking about life, speaking about the place in which he must do. In fact, many times Jesus tells the disciples, I think it's three specific instances where he tells them he's going to die and rise again but they don't get what's going on, just like you and me. How many times have you heard me say the same things over and, here, over and over? We need to be reminded, right? And so he says at verse four, but you know to this place to where I'm going. And Thomas, love Thomas, right? We've talked about Thomas throughout this series many different times. Thomas is great because he says the things we're all thinking, right? He asks the questions we all should be asking. Because all the disciples are like kind of just looking at their feet, you know, like this. And Thomas is like, Lord, look, listen, going to be honest, don't know where you're going, okay? <laughs> and, and he just pipes up and says, look, I don't know what you're talking about. Can you further explain this, right? We don't know where you are going. Thomas says this, verse 5, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? How do we know the way. Imagine how many different ways of life. There are so many different ways pointing you to all these different directions. That's the way. This is the way. That's the way. Go this way. Go that way. But what's the right way? What's the true way? How do I find the way to the destination that I desire to go? So easy to get lost, to get off the trail. Perhaps you've been hiking and you've done that. You're hiking on the trail and all of a sudden you find yourself wandered off into the forest and you don't know where it was or when it was that you got off the way. You fell off the path. In fact, in the New Testament, the followers of Jesus were first known not as Christians, but as followers of the way. 
Acts 24, verse 14, speaks about those who were of the way, who were following the way of Jesus. And then later on in Acts, they, they are finally called, I think it's in Antioch, where they're called Christians for the first time, little Christs. But these little Christs were followers of the way. And yet the world will not tell you to follow a way. It will tell you to follow your way. Burger King is the best. Have it your way, right? Okay? How can I know Jesus's way? How do I know what way is the right way? There's all these questions that are going on, especially today. For we find today's world, the truth is something muddled and confusing and is difficult to find. But Jesus tells us very simply that he is the way, he is the truth and the life. Knowing the right way involves specifically knowing the truth in order to find the way. Knowing the right way comes down to ultimately knowing the truth. And today the truth in our culture in this day, in this time and age, is something that seems almost non-existent. In our postmodern culture of constant doubt of anything absolute, and yet there is nothing that is traditional, is foundational. It is all to be made new and recreated and redefined. And ultimately, the truth that the world will tell you today is the only truth that you can be sure of is your truth, right? <laughs> your truth from your heart, from you, yourself, and you. <laughs> no one else can tell you anything about an absolute truth. And in fact, any kind of truth out there is suspect. And naturally within us all, especially with the rise of artificial intelligence and AI, you know, if you're going to be a relevant pastor, you have to bring up AI in a sermon every now and then, right? Uh, but uh, AI is one of those things that is out there constantly distorting the truth. The ability that uh, technology has these days to dub and fake and make all sorts of things look completely real when you then discover that it was a complete fake, yet looks so real. And yet you discover, that's not real, it's fake, it was made up, it was created, artificial intelligence made a fake video, whatever it might be. And really this idea I found in the definition of artificial is ultimately, artificial means made by humans. <laughs> so much of the truth that people say is truth, so much of the things that people say this way is ultimately just something defined by human beings, sought purposely to avoid any any, any insight from God or his word, if we take that away, we have nothing less but then to define the truth from where we are and where we stand. The truth of the past that has stood the test of time. And that's something I find so comforting about this word. Not yes, yes, obviously the truth that I, found it, that I find in it, but that every time I open God's word, every time we come and encounter it, it is something ancient and old. Have you ever thought about that? I know it seems almost simple, but the aspect that so much of today's world is constantly new and viral and, and fast-paced, yet the scripture slows us down and says this is something that believers all over the globe have been reading and studying for thousands of years, especially in the Old Testament, thousands upon thousands. And we find that these truths ring true throughout history. <laughs> They speak in all kinds of languages, tribes, nations, and tongues. And they resonate about, among culture, among you and I in the 21st century. And among believers in the 1st, 2nd, and 3rd centuries and before that. We find that these truths speak truth. 
And ultimately today our culture has sought to destroy the, the foundation of the absolute truth in replace absolute truth with the truth that we find from within ourselves. There are many historians that talk about this idea of the modern self. A person who is a modern man or a modern woman is someone who has a modern sense of sensibility, someone who is able to find truth from within as a buffered personality that is not influenced by anything from without. People living within an imminent frame, something that is, has no God outside transcendent above, but everything is close. What we can see with our own eyes, that's all that there is. And if we remove God as being transcendent above, and if we take all of those outside things and we strip them away, what we're left is everything that we feel to be true today. So if I feel one way one morning, then I can justify that to be true and then our culture today has a desire to take any aspect of truth from any individual as valid and equal. There is nothing that is weighed more true than another. So if everything is on an equal level playing field, there is no God above to justify what's right and what's wrong. The right and wrong is only what you feel. Then ultimately there is no one outside of ourselves to tell us what is right and tell us what is wrong. And ultimately we are left confused anxious, worried about who we are, <laughs> about our very identity, what gender we feel like we are. Every place in life is, is left for discussion and debate. There is nothing concrete, foundational to stand upon. Everything is being destroyed from the, from the, uh, from the bottom up. The very fundamental sense of society is being fractured because truth is thrown aside for emotions and feelings based on what we want it to be. And yet Jesus does not say, go find truth in your heart. Jesus doesn't say, go follow your heart and your feelings. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. He, he points to himself, not, a, not an idea, not a, a location, not even just necessarily a direction. He, he points to himself. The person of Jesus Christ and all that he represents is ultimate truth. And yet I want to dive into this kind of before we bring this to a conclusion is this idea of from John 8. Look at John 8 with me. John 8 verse 31 is an idea that I think kind of brings this a little bit more. It opens it up and unpacks it and, and helps us understand the importance of this. It says in John 8 verse 31, these are the words of Jesus. Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Verse 36 says, and if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. He says, if you abide in my word, the truth, you will know that truth and that truth will actually release you from bondage. It will actually set you free to be who you are actually made to be. <laughs> So if the Son, Jesus Christ, sets you free, you will be free indeed. True freedom is not living to what feels right to me and expressing my own felt needs, but rather following Jesus in his way and life and his way of life, you could say. And then it is in that that you will come to know the truth of God's revealed way. And in so doing, you follow Jesus. We put our faith and belief in him. You find that it's not about discovering yourself. 
discovering what's hidden within there, but about discovering who Jesus really is and believing in him. The fact that we are a sinner and we're in need of a savior. And Jesus is that savior. He is the light. He is the bread. He is the resurrection. And he's come so that you may find light to the way and the path and to show you the truth about who you are and his love for you. It's contrary to who the world says that you are to be. And it's ultimately, it's in this submission to the way of Jesus and the truth of Jesus where we find true freedom. Do you know what I mean by that in the sense, it's like a paradox. Like we would think by shirking off everything outside of us and being truly free by doing whatever I want to do would actually make me free. But it's in me doing whatever I want to do that I'm actually in bondage. It's spiritual anarchy. It's like anarchy where everyone has the freedom, there is nothing but chaos and confusion. It's actually stifling and suffocating if I have to constantly define my value, define my worth, declare my identity, reinvent the wheel at every right and who knows what wrong turn. But Jesus has already done that for you. I love you. I care for you. I've made you. Your identity is found in me. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Follow me and the Holy Spirit will guide you into the way of all truth. Leave your father the devil, it says in John 8, verse 44. We don't have time to go into it. But the, your father the devil is the father of lies, John 8, 44. And he is a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth, the word says, because there is no truth in him. And when Satan speaks, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Put that aside and step into the light, <laughs> follow Jesus and you don't have to live in the lies but you can live in truth this is true freedom the true freedom is by knowing the truth of God because you're following the way of Jesus it is that Jesus is the way the truth and the life and ultimately this is the answer that Jesus gives to Thomas Thomas says Lord we don't know the way I don't really know how to go and navigate life it's very complicated Jesus says I'm the way and Thomas kind of doubles down and says well I know that, you say that, but how do we know that your way is the right way? Like, how do I even know what the truth is anymore? Jesus answers, I am the truth. Thomas says, okay, but I'm literally banking my entire life on this. If I'm going to leave and forsake everything else and follow your way and your truth, Jesus, then I gotta know that there's gonna be something that's gonna back up here. And Jesus says, look, you're leaving your life of, of your past, but I am giving you my life in return. Because I am the life. <laughs> because your way does not lead to life. My way leads to life eternal. Because I am the resurrection and the life. Believe in me and you will never die, it says in, in John 6. And the only way, ultimately, that you find the way is through Jesus. And the only way that you find the way is through following Jesus as the captain of our soul. For he's the way, the truth, and the life. He is the one who is in control. And the Invictus mentality is good for a certain period of time, but it has its limits. It has its limitations, which is found within our own human frailty. The Invictus way of mentality being the captain of our soul, it says, you are the way, you are the captain, you chart the course, you pilot the ship. And that's all well and good when life is easy, is it not? <laughs> It's all well and good when life is calm and the seas are 
are nice and we're just out sailing for a nice Saturday trip, but what if the, the seas get rough and the storm is difficult and our grip on the helm of that ship begins to slip and we don't have the strength from within to continue to chart our course on our path and our plan and our way? What if all of a sudden our own physical human strength has its limits and has its end? What, what then? What then? You know, really, if, we're, if every pastor, every preacher could tell you a little secret is ultimately living life like that. We all try it at some point in our lives. We're in charge. And yet that, that way of living is exhausting. <laughs> it's, it, it's constantly wincing at every turn rather than trusting God with everything you have. It's, it's just so afraid of and worrisome and well, what about what I'm going to eat and what am I going to wear and what, what about a roof over my head? It's like, yeah, I take care of the little sparrow. I'm going to take care of you. <laughs> Look at the lilies of the field. They're arrayed in beauty. I, will I not clothe you in beauty as well? This is Jesus in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. He says these things. Like when you have to live your life constantly being Atlas upholding the earth, <laughs> it is exhausting. It's tiring, and ultimately, it's impossible. But rather, as Colossians tells us, that, that we don't have to uphold the entire world in our own hand. I don't have to know the way and the chart for everything. I don't have to define the truth for myself. I can trust in his way and his truth, and he gives me life. Colossians says this about Jesus, for in him, not me, but in him, all things were created in heaven and earth visible and invisible. All things were created through him and for him. Jesus is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body and the church so that in everything he might be preeminent. Jesus is preeminent above it all. Everything is held together by him, including you. For the father holds you in his hand and no one can snatch you out of his hand. And so ultimately, when we put our trust in Jesus as the captain of our ship, he begins to chart the course. He knows the way. Yes, there will take you on that ship through stormy waters, but you don't have to captain it. <laughs> you get to follow him, trust him as he knows the way to eternal life. Jesus offers us this way, ultimately to anyone, anyone, as the exclusive nature of the door of Jesus is also the most inclusive one. For it is found only through Jesus Christ, for he is the only way, the only truth, the only life. But it is, an, uh, it is an offer for anyone. Anyone who would come to Jesus can have this life. And ultimately, that's what I see in closing as I, as I compare these two people. We began with William Ernest Henley, this Invictus mentality. I am the captain of my soul. And I want to end with the man who I, I stumbled upon him a couple of months ago. His name is Edward Hopper. He lived in 1871. He was a pastor of, in Long Island, New York. He pastored a church called the Church of the Land and Sea. I thought that was a pretty epic name. He had a, a vibrant ministry to sailors and maritime folk. And he wrote a very well-known hymn uh, called Jesus, Savior, Pilot Me. And he was known for writing uh, poetry and hymns. And he actually died late in life of a heart attack while writing another poem to be penned into a hymn. For, for Edward Hopper didn't believe that he was the captain of his own soul, that he was the master of his own fate. He believed in Jesus because at the age of 72, Edward Hopper's prayer expressed in the third stanza of this immortal hymn 
had its complete fulfillment, in a sense, when he died there in 1888. He was found sitting in his study chair, pencil in his hand, writing a new poem on the subject of heaven. And he writes these words, Jesus, Savior, pilot me. Over life's tempestuous seas, unknown waves before me roll, hiding rocks and treacherous shoal. Chart and compass come from thee, Jesus, Savior, pilot me. And when I, at last I near the shore, and fearful breakers roar, twixt me and peaceful rest, then while leaning on thy breast, may I hear thee say to me, fear not, for I will pilot thee. Our Lord is our captain. Our Lord is our master. And he holds your soul and your life in his hand. We give ourselves to him. We submit to him. For he is the king of kings. For at, for at the name of Jesus, one day every knee will bow. And we come before him. The one who can say to those winds, say to those waves, peace, be still. It was power over all these things and loves you so. We put our faith and trust in Jesus as the captain of our soul and the master of our faith because he is the way, he is the truth, and the life. And he is the son of God who sets you free. And you will be free indeed if the son sets you free. For by him and in him and through him, you will pass through the storms of life because the master of the wind and the master of the waves is the one piloting your ship. For Jesus is the only way. He's the only way to finding truth and he's the only way to finding eternal life. Let's close in prayer. Father, we come before you and we ask, God, that you would fill us with your truth. You would teach us about right and wrong. You would teach us about your love for us. We thank you, God, for the message that is found in your word, the message that you gave to us. Now that we do not have to find it in someplace else, but we can go looking for it in you. I pray, God, that you'd speak to people today. I pray, God, that you'd use these words that we're about to sing, that we are the way, the truth, and the life, that these words would mean something, maybe for someone here today for the first time, coming to a day of salvation for them where they recognize as they call out to you that you would save them, that you would become the master of their fate and captain of their soul, that, God, we would follow you. I pray for someone here in this place that needs to pray to you, needs to submit to their own desire to run their life and, and Father, come to you, Jesus, and fall down on their knees. I pray for that today. God, I pray you would encourage us in your truth that you'd be glorified in all things today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.